in Silicon Valley, seed investing is 20%, uh, later stage investing is 20%, and 60% is Series A, Series B venture capital. You know, I think what we're seeing in Ohio was you know, 60% was uh, seed stage investing, you know, 20% was, was later stage investing, and only 20% was venture investing. So there's a huge gap there. The startup investment landscape is changing, and world-class companies are being built outside of Silicon Valley. We find them, talk with them, and discuss the upside of investing in them. Welcome to Upside. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Upside Podcast. First podcast finding upside outside of Silicon Valley. I'm Eric Hornung, and today, I'm not accompanied by any co-hosts. That's right, we've got a solo intro coming at you. Jay and I have had some scheduling issues this month, and I've been traveling for work. He decided to go on a 10-day silent retreat with no access to the internet. So this episode's going to sound a little different than usual. You're going to hear me in the intro and me in the outro, but only Jay in the interview. And this interview is going to be an interesting one. We were invited to a live event in Columbus sponsored by the OSU College of Nursing and run by Tim Rattersdorf at the Columbus Idea Foundry. Here's Tim to give a little insight into how nursing and innovation go hand in hand. For those of you who are new to the starting line, this is an initiative that comes in collaboration out of the College of Nursing at Ohio State and the Create Columbus Commission. Uh, so the question I get most uh, when I talk in, in circles outside of nursing is, is why is this happening within the College of Nursing? Why, why is this a nursing initiative? And it's actually pretty simple. Nurses have been innovators, makers, tinkerers from the beginning of time. You know, in, instead of really calling our, our work innovations, we've veiled it under the title of workarounds and, and got we're lived in fear of our direct reports, our, our, our directors reprimanding us for using tongue depressors and, and tape the wrong way, or maybe the right way, but in a different way. So uh, when we had the opportunity about two years ago to start a makerspace at the College of Nursing, uh, we knew that we couldn't do that alone within the vacuum at Ohio State. We wanted to do something much bigger and create pathways for convergence across campus. So we developed a mobile makerspace called the Innovation Studio. So the Innovation Studio is actually what, what powers the starting line. And that is a makerspace that moves, it's a 16 by 16 cubicle that moves to a different location across campus every seven weeks. And then we do something that no other makerspace in the world does. We have a pitch day. It's not a pitch competition, it's a pitch day. And the way it's different from every other pitch day is that we fund everyone. If you show up at our innovation studio as an OSU student, faculty, or staff with an idea that can improve the health and well-being of the world, we're going to write you a check that day. And then you're going to go out and do something amazing with that. And seven weeks later, we're going to have another pitch day at a new location. And you're going to come back and showcase how you met that milestone. And if you're doing great things with that, then we're going to write you another check. So we keep people engaged in the system, working towards getting to whatever a meaningful outcome may be. It's a makerspace first, uh, so a lot of these outcomes may not be commercializable, but there's also a lot of opportunities that we build into this that end up having commercial, commercial success. So that's where the, the College of Nursing and Innovation comes together. Uh, where we connected with the Create Columbus Commission was two years ago, they had a, uh, a call out for a grant that cr connected uh, young professionals in the city of Columbus to entrepreneurship. And what we wanted to do was take our makerspace to businesses that have been founded by young professionals and then showcase that founder's journey to and through entrepreneurship and connect those audience members to the mentorship and resources they needed to be successful. Unfortunately, we weren't allowed to bring our, our money, our, our startup funds uh, to those events, but what we were able to bring was an incredibly powerful network of mentors and provide entrepreneurs with one-on-one -on -one time with mentors who could help them achieve something to advance their business for the day. Thank you to Tim and the Create Columbus Commission for having us, to the audience for their participation, and to our guests for joining. So who are those guests? Well, today we're talking with Bill Bommel and Jill Ratterstorf of the Ohio Innovation Fund, a venture capital fund that invests in scaling Ohio technologies. Prior to OIF, Bill was a partner with RWI Ventures, a venture capital firm in Silicon Valley, and has over 20 years of experience investing in SaaS, big data, cybersecurity, and medtech. He's had numerous successful exits, and one of his investments is currently valued at $1.2 Jill began her career as an examiner with the FDIC, leading risk management examinations of financial institutions ranging from $100 million to $1 billion in asset size. 
She then shifted to J.P. Morgan as an underwriter, managing a $3 billion consumer loan portfolio. She's an alumni of Creighton and Ohio State. So let's jump into the interview, and I will see you guys after. So we've got a couple of fantastic guests here with us from the Ohio Innovation Fund. And I'd love to start with you, Bill, talking about you're an Ohio State alum. And so it makes some sense that you found your way back here at some point. But with the success that you had in Silicon Valley, what brought you back to Ohio? Sure, thanks. Well, I actually uh, grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Cincinnati, went to Ohio State. Then I went to University of Michigan for graduate school. Spent about five years in Minneapolis at a venture fund there where we invested primarily on the East Coast, Boston, New York, Atlanta, a little bit in the Midwest as well, but primarily Chicago and Minneapolis. And I spent the last, as you mentioned, 20 years out in Silicon Valley investing in med tech and uh, technology, SaaS, cybersecurity, uh, data science you know, uh, startups. And about, I'd say in about 2006, 2007, my family and I always came back for Fourth of July weekend and, and for Christmas and such, because we have a lot of family in the area. And um, I started looking at what some of the seed funds were doing, angel funds were doing. You know, the Ohio Tech Angel Fund, Rev One, Cincy Tech, you know, Jumpstart and all those. And, you know, when I was looking at these companies back in, I'd say, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, I was kind of disappointed. Um, one of the hottest deals that was out there was called, I forget it was called 3X or something like that, which was a disaster recovery as a service company that was just starting to develop the product. Well, I, I knew there's already 15 companies out in Silicon Valley that had 20 to $50 million in revenue in that same market. So I kind of felt Ohio was behind the times. Um, then fast forward to 2015, when Ohio State and Ohio University, our two major backers, contacted me to come in and create the Ohio Innovation Fund. When I was looking around at the seed stage companies and level entrepreneurship, things were much different. You know, from look a decade or more ago, how the short north has developed, German Village has developed, the amount of entrepreneurship, the amount of innovation. And I really felt it was a good time to come back to Ohio and bring Silicon Valley type venture principles here to Ohio for Ohio's best companies as far as allowing them to achieve their potential. So the company would not just grow, the company that could grow to 20 or 50 million wouldn't just grow to one or two million and sell for five or 10 million. We could help them with capital and more importantly expertise achieve their potential and sell for 100 million, 200 million, 300 million dollars or more. And so we saw that opportunity, and so far we haven't been disappointed. We have a portfolio of 13 companies, about half med tech, half tech. You know, we have a couple companies that are you know, pre-FDA approval, but for the most part, overall, our companies are approaching 100% growth, and a majority of our companies are at, at that type of, of growth level. And as we'll talk about later, we are now finding a, a lot of strategic partners, both nationally and internationally, coming and investing in our companies here. Uh, which is a great sign that the people like Facebook and, and Sanofi and, and Microsoft and, and those type of companies are finding value in what we're doing here and say, hey, we want to partner with you. We want to invest in your companies. We want to lead their investment rounds. So it's been a, a pleasant trip back so far. And you said that was about 2015 that you got this whole thing started? We uh, Well, 2015, they, they contacted me and the original concept was put forth and then we probably talked for about three to six months because I want to make sure that this venture fund was independent, that we didn't have ties to, you know, we, we didn't have ties other than the mandate to take the best 20 companies, 25 companies in Ohio, put capital in them, you know, work on their board of directors and help mentor and work with the team to allow those companies to achieve their success. So it was about a three to six month process to get, you know, uh, on that. And then we kicked the fund off in uh, the first part of 2016. And something that you mentioned right before that, question that I think is worth digging into a little bit. You said Ohio State and Ohio University contacted you. So those two universities were what kickstarted the Ohio Innovation Fund. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, I think I think uh, there are some studies and, and other you know, research done here by the uh, by the government, as well as the universities were seeing, okay, we have a relatively robust or reasonable angel and seed level activity and investment. But then the companies, you know, the traditional venture capital series, I mean, in, in Silicon Valley, seed investing is 20%, uh, later stage investing is 20%, and 60% is series A, series B venture capital. You know, I think what we're seeing in Ohio was, you know, 60% 
was a seed stage investing. You know, 20% was, was later stage investing and only 20% was venture investing. So there's a huge gap there in terms of not only capital, but also expertise. Because in Ohio, very different than Silicon Valley. I mean, Silicon Valley, you have repeat entrepreneurs. I had one entrepreneur I backed in multiple companies. He sold two companies for over $600 million in a three-year span. We don't have that in Ohio. I mean, we do have Mike Hoven down at uh, uh, down in Able Injections who had taken Atricure Public. I mean, there are a few repeat entrepreneurs, but most entrepreneurs are, are are new. So I think both the state and then in particular Ohio State and Ohio University said, "Hey, for you know, we we see a lot of innovation going on here, but not reaching its potential." And our best and brightest students, whether they're from in-state or from out-of-state coming here to school, they're coming here and they're leaving and they're starting their companies elsewhere. So they really wanted to, to provide you know, to provide opportunity for their students and alumni to work in high-growth, innovative, entrepreneurial you know, companies. And that has been also a cultural sea change. If I look in, in, at Columbus, Ohio, if I look at let's say, you know, uh, my generation or, 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 or beyond, you know, entrepreneurship is kind of important, but a lot of people are happy at, 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 at four to 500 type companies. If I look at the, the, the millennial generation, I mean, they want impact, innovation, th those sorts of things. And there just hasn't been an opportunity here. There's really a lot of people wanting to get involved in entrepreneurship and innovation. And we're trying to provide that outlet with, you know, Silicon Valley like companies here in Ohio. Jill, I'm going to get to, to how you joined Bill here in a second. Um, what, what is it that Ohio State, was, was it a commercialization effort that Ohio State and Ohio University wanted to kickstart? Was it um, something in coordination with the state for jobs creation? I don't think I've been familiar with universities wanting to get a venture fund started before. Maybe I'm just not privy to it. Yeah, both uh, universities have their own commercialization efforts, so they have, have those there. I mean, to the extent that either Ohio State or Ohio University have uh, top tier, top 10% companies coming through that, we do invest there. But this is specifically mandated to take the best companies in Ohio. Because if you look at it, uh, 10, 20 years from now, if we're still selling insurance, if we still have restaurants, insurance companies, you know, consumer packaged goods, and, and financial services, and that's all we have, and we're not leaders in med tech and data science and artificial intelligence, machine learning, and cybersecurity and all the emerging industries, that's not, I mean, those are, that's where the growth is at. And that's where, for the current generation and the next generation, it, it, it's really at. And I think Ohio State and Ohio University and Kent State and now others are recognizing that for their students. I mean, I was talking to the president of Kenyon College, and he told me, you know, 10 years ago, they had 10% of their students were in-state and 90% out-of-state. And, and basically, when it's all said and done, probably 95% went out-of-state. Now they still have you know, 80, 90% from out of state, uh, you know, actually international as well, 10, 20% in state, but they now have 40 to 50% of the students wanting to stay here in Ohio. They love Columbus, Ohio. You know, they love what's been being done here. And so I think universities are recognizing that, but we do also have success stories at our universities. You take Ohio University down in Athens. Um, over the last 10, 15 years, there have been there's been one company that grew to 100 employees down there. It was sold to Quidel. Uh, Dave Scholl, who's on the uh, trustees down there, was the CEO of that. We now have two companies down there that are doing tens of millions of dollars in revenue and approaching or going to eclipse 100 employees over the next three to six months um, as they're building facilities and, and, and adding and those sorts of things. And these are you know, leading-edge companies with customers such as Amgen, Genetech, Pfizer, um, actually, one of the companies actually has Ohio State as a customer as well. So we are finding, we just actually spun out another company out of Ohio State recently. Uh, Jonathan uh, from uh, Thompson Hine helped us with that. It was, uh, it's Data Anchor, and that's a cybersecurity company. Emery uh, Coxell is the uh, uh, CEO. He's a professor in the engineering department, MIT, PhD, NSF funded. And uh, we've been working with him for about six to nine months in, in incubating the idea you know, and bring it out. So that is a, a direct investment. We're actually partnering with TCO on that. We brought in some out-of-town money as well, some other venture funds to seed that to, to north of a million dollars investment to get that cybersecurity company off the ground. So, but it is, it is the best of the best in Ohio because if we have great growing companies in these emerging industries, that's good for Ohio State, its students, you know, its alumni, same with OU and Kent State. Yeah, and just to add to that, really OSU and OU are really champions in this space of understanding, again, like Bill mentioned, that the, the seed stage level had really been pretty well developed in Ohio, you know, at, at 2015, but there needed to be that next stage. And they really saw the opportunity to capitalize on that by investing their venture dollars here in the state rather than kicking it to the coast because they were already investing in venture. Why not do it here in their own community so that we can create this cycle 
here in Columbus or in Ohio in general. That's a missing link that is mostly new to me. I knew Ohio State had invested in drives for some fun when they came here. I didn't know how prevalent that was at a university level that they had venture funding that they were putting into these funds already. We well, had yeah, typically, I mean, typically a university, and, and again, there's different investors at Ohio University. It's the foundation at different places. It's the university itself or, or a foundation. But if you look at the average, you know, foundation, they're going to put 10% alternative assets, you know, and, and right now that's going to a buyout fund in London, a, you know, SoftBank in Japan, um, Kleiner Perkins on the West Coast, which is great. But you know, what is that doing for Ohio? What is it doing for the students? What is it doing for the faculty that are you know, working on cutting edge you know, research in med tech, pharma, you know, uh, cybersecurity and such? Not doing much. So, I mean, we do as a fund have to have competitive returns. So our mandate, we are not economic development. So we have to have competitive venture returns. We have to have the same similar type returns to other venture alternatives. But the other benefit, like we talked about, is we're doing it here in Ohio. So we're creating the industries of the future here in Ohio. We're mentoring the um, first or, I guess, second generation or first generation, actually, probably of entrepreneurs here in Ohio for high-growth, successful companies. And the other thing is we're working with the students. Uh, this year, Jill runs our uh, internship program, and she could talk about that. But we'll probably have 16 students either as summer interns or shadows or some places have flash turns. Um, you know, in, into our, you know, into Ohio Innovation Fund. And, and one of our companies will be talking later today, Wiretap, I think had nine interns, summer interns, uh, mostly from Ohio State this summer. So we're also, you know, working with the students to mentor them, get them, you know, acquainted with and, and involved in the entrepreneurial and innovation ecosystem here in Ohio. So Jill, how did you get involved in this effort as it got started in 2016? Yeah, so um, in 2016, I was actually finishing up my MBA at Ohio State as a working professional. And I had decided to go through the MBA program because I was interested in doing something different. I have a very corporate background, um, as you all heard. And I was interested in entrepreneurship. I wanted to try something different. And I've always been really fascinated by value creation, both on kind of the quantitative side of how, specifically in venture, how companies are valued, how people make investment decisions, those types of things, but then also qualitatively, how does a venture capitalist add value to a company outside of their dollars? And that's what really fascinated me. And I had the opportunity to work with Bill um, during the summer as I call myself intern number one, even though I don't think I was, I still take that title. And um, I got to join him and learn about what he was doing. And very quickly, I think we both agreed that it was a good fit. And so I stayed on. And it's been incredible ever since. So I've been with OIF for about 18 months and um, I've been able to get my hands into all kinds of things, including work with our portfolio companies, helping them with market strategy, series B raises and all kinds of things like that. We also do, I do a lot of the due diligence and, and lead that. And then like Bill mentioned, um, I started an internship program. So we've decided to develop that and really expand the offering to students who are interested in entrepreneurship and venture capital. So that's what we're working on. I imagine when you have funds to deploy, word travels pretty quickly. But I'm curious how you guys got kickstarted for letting people know that you were open for business and that you're looking to talk to innovative companies here in Ohio. Yeah, it was a lot of travel. So I, we spent, and we still do a lot of travel. This month, or let's say the last 30 to 45 days have probably been to Cleveland multiple times to Akron, you know, once or twice, to Toledo once, uh, to Cincinnati two or three times. You know, we're, we're traveling the state, so it's really getting out there and meeting with all the seed stage funds, the angel stage funds, the other venture investors, you know, getting involved with different organizations, and really also getting to meet some of the key business, you know, entrepreneurial leaders here in Ohio. So it's really a lot of networking for the first year. And it took about a, a six months to a year to get that network in place. And, and now, you know, as we continue to, now we're up to, I think we have the most, we probably are the largest as far as, you know, even drive here. I don't think they have 13 companies in Ohio. I mean, we probably are the venture firm with the most Series A, Series B, traditional venture capital companies here in Ohio. And that's strictly where we're focused. Can you list off some of your investments at this point? I'm sure some of the folks in the audience here are familiar with at least some of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and talk about some of the more interesting ones, where it kind of just uh, on the medical side as well. So down in uh, Cincinnati, we have a, a few med tech uh, companies. One is called Enable Injections. And so this is for people that need high volume drug delivery. And instead of going in on Saturday after a full week of work and 
um, you know, getting an IV for a few hours and then going home and blowing, you know, half your Saturday. It's a device about that big. Um, the vial automatically puts the, the, drug, the uh, drug in there. You put it right here. Uh, you push a button. The needle is from Cincinnati Children's Hospital, very small needle. It has a little almost like angioplasty type balloon that titrates the drug. So it, it puts the amount of pressure that you know, gets it out, gets it into your system, but doesn't you know, do it too quickly to cause pain. And then the button pops off and you're done. And that's the one that uh, Sanofi has, has uh, partnered with. And I think uh, you know, we anticipate a, you know, a, a quite a few of the top 10 pharma companies in the world being partners with us in that company. Um, we have another one called Geneticist down there. Uh, actually, the founder was from Ohio State, Peyush. And uh, that is re reading electromagnetic images from the heart in 90 seconds to give in very cost effectively as well um, to give you a, if I, I come in for chest pain, um, rather than doing you know uh, all the different tests, the nuclear stress tests, all that, you this test. They've done some studies at Mayo and elsewhere where with very high accuracy, they can tell you, okay, you have a blockage of zero to 50%. Uh, you're okay, go home. You have a blockage of 50 to 70%, we better get you on some drugs. You have a blockage, blockage of 70% or more, we better get you up the cath lab. So we're not sending people up to the cath lab that should be going home, because that's not just a fun extra thing to do. And we're not actually sending people home that should have gone to the cath lab. And, and that is another company. Our third company down there is called Ekron. And that is, there's a lot of this, uh, uh, I'll call it, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's using sweat as a biomarker. And right now, most of the times people think about that, they think about a, a patch that might go on your arm. Um, they're almost, it's like a, almost like testing the pH level in a pool in terms of it's, it's green or, I'm sorry, it's purple or red based on you know, how hydrated you are. This is also actually almost a little mini lab on your arm. It's actually just a little pod that goes on there. There's a strap around it. And it takes the sweat, and it can it determines sweat rate, um, changes in sweat rate, uh, sweat um, temperature, uh, and other biomarkers such as biomarkers for stress, dehydration, you know, all sorts of things for different applications. Obviously, dehydration, stress, and what have you. The technology came out of Dayton Air Force Research Labs, as well as University of Cincinnati, and um, and and they are are doing you know quite well right now and 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 forming some major major partnerships. Uh, we have quite a few, so we have quite a few of that in Cincinnati. We have a lot of enterprise software here. Wiretap you'll hear from later this afternoon. They're basically looking at the next generation of of collaborative um, uh, social networks within enterprise, Slack, Yammer, Microsoft Teams, Facebook Workplace, and helping to both secure those, making sure there's not inappropriate activity going on there or, or leakage of, of, inf of confidential information, but also gives you a full view of your social network, kind of who's interacting with who, what's the overall level of interaction, is it positive, negative, trending positive, trending negative, and, and I don't want to steal the thunder, so we'll, we'll talk more about that later. We have a data science company here called Amuta um, that recently had a Series B led by City Ventures, Dell Ventures, Daimler Ventures, and Draper growth out of the West Coast at double the price of our Series A. We have uh, other companies here. We actually have Data Anchor. That's one from Ohio State where Emory the, uh, the perf uh, actually embeds security into data. So instead of putting firewalls around the nursing school and around the medical school and all that and, and, and all, and you can still have that in all the access controls in terms of, you know, this is actually encryption embedding the data. So you may be, all the data you're using is encrypted, but you can still use it. And the minute you are no, you no longer should have access to that, it turns it off automatically. So even if someone steals, yeah, if someone were to steal your laptop and they go off, you can say, "Boom, we're going all that data gets re-encrypted. They can't use it." So it's a really neat uh, thing. And then we have another company up in uh, Cleveland that is is focused on clinical trials. So they started at Case. Now they're at Duke, Rochester, UCSF, Emory, Northwestern, uh, and even Ascension Health, where they take all the binders out of clinical trials. So have a workflow document management system that you know handles clinical trials, takes makes sure that there's compliance, and then stores all that in an FDA compliant cloud environment, and that's growing quite rapidly uh, as well. And we have a few a few others as well. I mentioned the two down in uh, Silicon Valley biorepository for storing lab samples for researchers at negative uh, 80 degrees C. Um, that has grown to $35 million over the last couple of years, probably one of the largest private venture-backed companies or the largest venture-backed private company in Ohio that's growing quite rapidly, Genentech, Amgen, and, and many others as, as, as customers. And then we actually have a 503B compounding company down there as well, uh, making short-list drugs and others that's growing quite rapidly. And they are just opening a new large facility in, in Albany, which is outside of Athens down there, that has capacity for $100 million in revenue and will probably have 100 people working there by, by middle of next year. 
So I hear a lot of enterprise SaaS. I hear med tech, which is a little bit your background already. Yes, yes. Do you think that Ohio is uniquely positioned to start and grow those types of companies? Or is that what you're most familiar with? And so you're kind of finding those more naturally. Typically, venture capital is about 80% technology and 20% med tech. And quite frankly, med tech goes in and out of favor. I mean, back in the late 90s, when the internet was booming, most venture firms got rid of their med tech. And then there's a crash. And there's always some specialized med tech firms. But I think in Ohio, with our universities, Cleveland Clinic, those sorts of things. MedTech will definitely be 40 to 50% what we do just because of, the, you know, of, of how it is in Ohio. It's very strong here. Um, so I found that technology-wise, there's a lot of enterprises here. One thing I'd like to do is get more of the enterprise. I mean, if you look at, we have, I mean, 100, 200 of the, or more of the Fortune 500 as customers of our companies. We have most of the leading universities as customers of our company. I mentioned a few of those before, Harvard, MIT, Caltech, are all customers of, of multiple of our companies. Um, we, we, you know, the, the Midwest has an area with a lot of Fortune 500, a lot of areas like finance, med tech, and insurance that were data security and data science are issues. So it's, it's, that's natural. So far, actually, it's been easier to get customers outside of Ohio than in Ohio, which is interesting. I think there's so those two areas I think are ripe for Ohio and, and there's a couple other areas I'm actually surprised we're not better at. One is autonomous vehicles because when all the companies I'm, I'm an, I've been advisor to one in California that grew to a couple of million dollars in two years and you know so I know that most of the technology being used in autonomous driving vehicles and all the tests are being done in Ohio and Michigan but all the technology is coming from the West Coast. So I'm a little bit surprised there we haven't taken more advantage of that. And the other thing is there's so much manufacturing in Ohio. And I'm surprised that we don't have more Internet of Things, you know, software and, and devices and sensors, you know, being, being done here in Ohio. Because, you know, Ohio and the Midwest are buying all the IoT stuff, but it's all being done in Silicon Valley. So I think, there's beyond, I think those are two strong areas, but those other two areas, IoT and autonomous, you know, are two areas where I think we, I know we do the smart cities and all that, but as far as actually producing the technology ourselves that, that drives that, I think those are some other areas of opportunity. So, Joe, you guys have investments in Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Athens, I've heard. I'm guessing there might be something in Dayton, too. With Air Force Research Labs, yeah. Can you talk to me about those different cities in the Ohio ecosystem and how they are similar and dissimilar from one another? Yeah. So like you mentioned, we, we definitely have coverage in Cincinnati, Cleveland and Columbus and Athens, but we are definitely reaching out to the other areas. We've worked with Dayton. We've been there a little bit and we still need to get, I think, a little bit more deeply embedded. But in our pipeline, we have opportunities in the Akron area, in the Toledo area and other areas of the of the state. So that's exciting. And we've been spending, as Bill mentioned, we've been spending a lot of time kind of building our infrastructure and understanding the expertise of the different universities and the different communities. Uh, as Bill mentioned, nearly all of our med tech is in Cincinnati. So they're creating quite a health corridor down there. And when you think about how you can create this cycle of success, Cincinnati is really showing it, right? Mike Hooven, as Bill mentioned, is the CEO of Enable Injections. He was the former CEO of Atricure. Bob Beach is the CEO, or the chairman of the board, I'm sorry, of uh, Ekron Systems, and he had Intrexon prior to that. Um, and Mike Hooven is helping with geneticists. He's on their, on their advisory board as, a, as the independent uh, board member. So we see Cincinnati really focusing on kind of the health corridor. We have some tech companies there as well. Uh, Columbus being focused, again, a little more, at least in our portfolio, on cybersecurity and enterprise SaaS. And Cleveland, you know, we're starting to see some really cool companies pop up there as well. And, and we, we travel up and down 71 quite a lot. As far as advanced manufacturing, both of our companies in Athens would be qualify as that, which is really exciting because that's particularly an area of Ohio that we can really be useful for. Like Bill mentioned, we're not out for economic development, but we realize that the work that we're doing and the investments we're making are, do have a social impact as well. And we're really excited about the opportunity that that presents in those types of communities. Okay. So you guys identified that post seed stage funding was a gap that we had here in Ohio. And that's one of the thesis, part of the thesis of OIF. What else do you see as a need here in Ohio to continue to grow our entrepreneurial ecosystems all over the state? Part of it is just uh, the mentality of Ohio. In Ohio, I, I think thinking bigger is important. One of my companies, uh, Infinera, grew from zero to $500 million in revenue in three years. I don't think I could convince any 
Ohio entrepreneur to come up with a business plan that grows from zero to $50 million in three years. So I think that's a big part of it, thinking big. Uh, and actually, uh, Greg is going to be here today, but uh, Jeff Schumann, uh, the CEO of Wiretap, thinks big. And so yeah, there are that is starting, but uh, we're trying to get people to, to think big. Um, and then also, and along with thinking big, is a sense of urgency. You know, if you have a great idea to think, hey, I have five to 10 years to execute on this, let's just kind of keep going incrementally, you're assuming that there aren't people in Silicon Valley, Boston, Austin, London, Tel Aviv, China, India, that aren't going to come up with the same idea, you know, or already are working on the same idea. So I think both the big ideas, the sense of urgency, obviously what we're trying to provide is that expertise. I mean, like we even at one company, like, oh, wow, we're starting to have some sales issues. Well, that yeah, that's because because we're the first two or three salespeople who had never managed anything before, and they're at capacity. We need to bring a manager here, and, and yeah, same with the operations, all that. So that's a big piece of it. And, and the other piece I'd say is, you know, really be careful in, in who you choose as as your board members. Uh, we've been involved with with some great board members. We've been involved with some that maybe think that a a, a, a startup should be race uh, should be. Uh, run similar to maybe how Procter & Gamble is run. And those are very different enterprises, right? Because startups are all about, you know, why can we succeed, right? Because we have you know, a fraction of the people, a fraction of the money, as compared to established competitors, right? We have, we're raising $5, 10000000 million. They have, you know, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. We have 10, 15 people. They have hundreds of engineers. They have all the customers locked up. How do we disrupt them? Well, because we're, we're, we're working faster, we're working quicker, we don't have politics, we don't have bureaucracy, we're making it happen. And naturally, we, we, we tend to attract the best and brightest who, who just want to make things happen and have an impact. And so I think really choosing your investors and board members wisely is, is very, very important. That, I'd like to add to that, just on the investment piece, really understanding who is investing in your company. We've had several companies that I've, I've talked with and looked at, you know, they're in our pipeline. You know, they, they have great seed investors, but none of those people are really able to connect them to the next group of people that they need to grow their business. Or they're, again, they've given them money and they're super supportive, but they don't really have the expertise to explain to them or help them learn how to scale. And as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, you don't have all the answers and it's helpful to have somebody to, to talk with about that and, and have someone that can connect you to that next level of people to grow your business. I'd love to ladder into that because since you guys see companies at a little bit of an advanced stage, they're getting ready to hire, I assume. And something that I've kind of seen as I talk to more entrepreneurs in different areas of the state is when it comes to talent, putting aside engineering talent, because that's a need everywhere. It seems like there's a need for executive level talent or people who have seen hyper growth so they can help people understand what growth and thinking big looks like. Do you guys see that or am, am I making that up? Uh, so we see a lot on the sales side. Um, I would say quite a few of our sales executives are brought into Ohio. And so what we're hoping is, because there just aren't a lot of sales, you know, VPs of sales or uh, CPs of sales that have grown companies from $1 million to 50 or $100 million here in Ohio in the tech or med tech area. So a lot of times, like in the case of, of Strong Ultra Cold, we brought someone in from Silicon Valley that sold a company to HP for $300 million, been the sales executive there. But we have them here in Ohio, and they then are mentoring, you know, their three, three to five direct reports that are running, you know, international East Coast, West Coast, the middle, you know, middle section. And so hopefully through that process then, we now have four candidates for VP of sales the next time around. So like you're saying, engineering-wise, check. Operations-wise, check. Tactical marketing, check. Sales, we do need to bring in some outside expertise. The other area is really product marketing, kind of strategic product marketing in terms of product roadmap. And, and that's one area we have trouble you know, with people that have that can kind of manage the intersection of, oh, what's happening in the future? What's the sales side say? And what does the engineering side say, sales side say we need? What's the engineering side say we, we can do? How do I, you know, what's the competition look like? And putting all that together, that's a very uh, tough position. And in some cases, like in the case of Sterling Ultra Cold, we actually worked with the CEO and founder and jointly, and Jill led this effort, we jointly created the product roadmap. Which, by the way, when we showed it to Genentech, they loved it. So that's <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah, so we do a lot of that work of, of kind of identifying some of the roadblocks that we see coming and trying to help remove them. So again, I'm not going to take credit for Sterling Ultra Cold's product roadmap, but definitely bringing it back to light and reintroducing it to the board as a, as a key priority. Those are the types of things that we're doing to help our, our portfolio companies grow. Jill, you mentioned a little bit ago that you were really interested in some of the things that a fund can do to help 
a startup besides just the funds. So two years into this, two plus years into this, what are you guys finding as some of the value add that you try to bring to the table to your entrepreneurs? Yeah. So one of the reasons that I wanted to get into the investment side of things in this whole ecosystem is because when I was a bank examiner with the FDIC, I got to go into a lot of different institutions. And through that, you you create these best practices, right? You see the model of, of something that's successful. And I was really hoping as an investor to get that same experience, right? And see multiple companies scale well and successfully and be able to understand that model and apply it to different businesses for them to be successful. One of the ways that we do that is through the work that we do with our portfolio companies. So Sterling Ultra Cold, great example, revitalizing their product roadmap, right? They had created that when they started the company back in 2007, but they really had tabled it because they were focused on production of the market they decided to enter. So reintroducing those new market opportunities was one example. Compliant up in Cleveland, that's our healthcare IT company working in the clinical trial space. We did something similar where they had identified their market when they had you know, done their seed fundraising, but they hadn't really gone back to it and they're really creating the market that they're in. So I did a lot of research to identify what is the current market opportunity look like and what are the best prospects going forward? Another great example of some of the work that we do is on the just strategy side, right? Working with companies as they've raised their series B or their next round of fundraising. Uh, it's really hard to create a deck as, as the CEO and founder, you know exactly what you do, but it's really hard to explain it to somebody who's never seen what you're doing before. So as investors, we can look at those things and really give our perspective and, and help them fine tune those messages so that they can be more successful successful when they go out to investors here locally or on the coasts. Last question to me before I open it up to the audience here. You guys help companies get connected to partners outside of Ohio, sometimes on the coasts and otherwise. What are people saying about Ohio when they have the interaction of you or some of these Ohio companies? I think one of our partners is Mike Hughes. Mike was the uh, senior vice president of worldwide marketing at Barracuda. Uh, that grew to uh, became a, a $1.5 billion cybersecurity company. He now, and we see him some times here around Ohio, but much more in California where, when I'm out there, is that he's now running the company, if sales and marketing for the company that does all the electric car charging uh, stations that are popping up all over the place to charge electric cars. Which And so he's a very you know successful executive. And now he's a advisor to wiretap. He's on the board of Data Anchor. And he actually went to Miami of Ohio, uh, but has spent his career out in Silicon Valley. And he's been very, very, very impressed with with what's going on here in Ohio compared to you know, 10 years ago. Um, he has now one son that's up at University of Michigan. I think his daughter's going to be at University of Miami. So he's spending a lot of more, lot, a lot of time here now, wants to give back you know, to Ohio. And he thought, eh, maybe I'd find, I mean, he's now finding more than he can handle in terms of high quality companies that are similar to or better than the companies he could work with in Silicon Valley. I think right now the difference, I mean, I take our portfolio and, and what we're looking at and stack it up against most Silicon Valley you know, based portfolios. Uh, from that perspective. I, we don't have the depth, right? I mean, in Silicon Valley, you have firms that say, oh, we just do med tech, and within med tech, we just do pharma, or we just do diagnostic devices, or we don't do diagnostic devices, or we just do SaaS, or we just spoke a lot, specialize in AI and machine learning and, and stuff like that. There's not enough co I mean, companies here in Ohio in each of those areas to build a robust portfolio, so you have to be somewhat opportunistic. I mean, I had no idea I'd come to Ohio and my first deal would be a biorepository, you know, storing lab samples down in Athens, but you kind of pick the best of the best. So I think you know, it, it's really the level we have right now is very strong, but similar to Silicon Valley where Fairchild Semiconductor, out of that came Intel, out of that came Kleiner Perkins, out of that came National Semiconductor, out of that came Apple. I mean, out of, out of, out of one company, Silicon Valley, you know, that used to be you know, Santa Clara County, is now Silicon Valley. That, that was from one company. I think the same thing here, people realize, and I think that's what we have to realize when there's an acquisition of one of our companies, if it has to be a, a coastal acquisition where they leave some development but maybe move, move everything out, that's not a loss. Because if we have success here, only through success, companies being acquired for $100 million or more, and having people like OIF and others, you know, will the coast invest? Because they want to know, number one, we can, we can make money, and number two, we have a local partner that knows what they're doing. Because you know, venture is a very hands-on activity. You can't, if you're in Silicon Valley or Boston, you can't be there every day, right? So I think you know, the, the impression is, is very strong. Like I said, we're seeing the strategic partners come first, and we mentioned a lot of those. Now we're seeing the venture firms follow the strategic partners. 
And so I think it's been you know, very optimistic. And I think for each company that's successful or even unsuccessful, you learn from that. Hopefully there's five or 10 spin outs from that. And so it's kind of a, you know, a multiplier effect from there. I think that's what's going to happen here. Jill, have you heard anything from people outside of Ohio talking about Ohio? Ohio? Yeah, I mean, any kind of exposure that we're getting right now is good, right? Because if there's one thing I've learned as an entrepreneur is it's really hard to have your message heard above the noise, right? The internet is amazing, but there's a lot of things going on there. So being able to find the work that we're doing here is really important. And so I, th- I think we've, we all see it, right? VentureBeat has a, a Heartland weekly weekly article every week. So, I mean, it's happening, but people are still still trying to see if it's proving itself out, right? And we're all trying to do that. We have to have some exits. We have to have those really visible signs of success to, to really solidify our presence. But people are listening, people are hearing, and people want to know what we're doing. I'm a part of a group called NextGen, and we do a deal flow call once a month. And it's it's grown from you know, 15 of us locally here in Ohio to now we have, I think, over 50 to 60 people that call in once a month and they're from all over the Midwest and we're really creating a presence here. And, um, you know, Data Anchor being, I think, a great example for us that we, you know, we're partnered with a VC firm in Omaha, Nebraska, which is actually my hometown. So that's kind of fun for me. But bringing dollars into Ohio is, again, just kind of a further outside validation of the work that we're doing and the work that our entrepreneurs are doing here. If people in this room or the listeners to the podcast want to learn more about Ohio Innovation Fund or get in touch with you after the show, where should they go? Yeah, www.ohioinnovationfund.com. We keep it pretty easy. You can find us there and we have an info at OIF that you can certainly email to. And then you can find us both on LinkedIn, Jill Raderstorf and at Bill Baumel. And we are pretty responsive there. So either way. Also on Twitter. Right? Yeah, OIF on Twitter. But again, we don't, we don't check that as often. So <laughs> might not be your best avenue. <laughs> Can you guys join me in giving a hand to our guests here today? So Jay just spoke with Bill and Jill from OIF. And this was definitely a different type of episode. Specifically, we focused on a state versus a city. And full disclosure, Jay and I are both from Ohio. If you're a long-time listener, you might know that I am from Cleveland originally, and Jay is from a little cow town outside of Columbus. Jay still lives in Columbus, and I have recently moved back to Cincinnati. And I think it's a fair criticism to say that the podcast can be a bit Columbus and Ohio-centric. But I think Bill's recent move from Silicon Valley shows that there is something happening here, and that Ohio is really in an interesting position. My own take on Ohio is that its demographic makeup is so much different than other states. Three cities are practically tied for first place in population and in GDP. And when you look at most other states, there's usually one dominant city. I think of Chicago in Illinois, or Minneapolis in Minnesota, or Indianapolis in Indiana. And in some cases, there's one dominant city and one queen city with the exception of Ohio, Florida, and Texas. So I think that's a natural competitive advantage for Ohio in that they can be a little more resilient and not dependent on one city. Another thing is that Ohio is a toned-down mix of the East Coast, the South, and the Midwest all in one state. So by examining Ohio, you can learn a lot about America. Again. This is my opinion. So Jay and I are fans of Ohio, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop exploring other cities outside of Silicon Valley. In fact, it probably means that we're going to do so with more gusto. Just like all people, we may have a little home country bias, and it's good to know that. So thinking back to the episode, what did I take away? Primarily, I took away that in comparison to Silicon Valley, the Ohio ecosystem is in its infancy and it's evolving. Bill made mention to Fairchild, and we still haven't had our Fairchild in Ohio yet. I think that OIF is unique, and it's a semi-focused mid-tier fund, which is different from a lot of the VCs we talk to who maybe are earlier stage and aren't doing this 20 to 25 lead investment strategy. Maybe they're doing something more like an incremental check for 50 to 100,000. So this is definitely filling a gap. I think that we are going to see 
this shift, the 60% that Bill talked about, that in Ohio is currently in early stage and in Silicon Valley is in the Series A to Series B, I think that that shift is going to start. And it's starting with things like OIF. And also, I took that we are growing up a bit in terms of our institutions. So Yale invested in its first venture capital fund in 1976. Now, Yale's known, their endowment is known for being a bit aggressive and being a bit of a trendsetter in the endowment space. It's good to see things like Ohio State and Ohio University investing directly in venture capital as an asset class, specifically venture capital as an asset class outside of the coasts. So I think that that is a positive sign that institutions are contributing to their ecosystems in more ways than one. We left a little bonus content on the end here for you. I hope you enjoy it. It's the follow-up questions to the presentation at the Columbus Idea Foundry. If you want to chat with either Jay or I, please reach out to us on Twitter at UpsideFM or send us an email at hello at upside.fm. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Does anybody have any questions for our guest here? What's the biggest change you've seen in Ohio in the last two to three years? Where do we need to go next going forward? Is there a missing piece that we're missing in the venture investment that you'd like to have to help more businesses grow and be sustainable? So it's a more broad basis. Like when Pride came in, everything changed at a later stage, but some area you think that would be important as supporting the ecosystem and influence. I mean, like I said, in Silicon Valley, 68% of, of venture capital is venture Series A, Series B venture capital. I mean, seed and angel are very important. You know, you're, you're kind of spreading out to 50, 100 companies and seeing what might pop up. But venture capital is then picking out, you know, each venture firm picks out 15 to 20 companies and really works closely with them to, you know, to achieve their success. So I think really that area is critical. Scaling, you know, us scaling up our efforts going forward is absolutely critical. If that doesn't happen, It'll, we'll go back to where we were because growth capital is is nice, but if you're if you have a I mean if I go to anyone anywhere and say my company grew from one million to five million to ten million to twenty million and we'll do forty million dollars this year, I can get money anywhere, right? I mean I mean it's not like the people if I if I go I mean I can get it from Silicon Valley, I can get it from Boston, I can get it from Austin, I can get it from Chicago, I can get it from Minneapolis, I can get it from anywhere, right? But where you know when someone says hey like the people at Wiretap hey. We have a, 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 a cybersecurity platform here that works on Yammer. We need some money to make it work on Slack and Microsoft Teams and Facebook Workplace. We need some help partnering with Facebook Workplace and Microsoft. We have a couple customers. We need to build out a sales and marketing group. That's a much, you know, that's a different decision. And we're really, the, the, the firm that's doing with 13 portfolio companies here in Ohio, we're really doing the, the, the bulk of the work in that area. And so I think we'll need to scale our efforts going forward for Ohio for when there are five spinouts from our successful companies so that we can be involved with those and, and fund those and work with those to make them more successful. Thank you. Do the university roots any sort of exist? No, no, it's, it's all arm's length. Yeah, you know, when we look at any companies from from uh, that spin out of Ohio State or Ohio University or any of our member uni universities or or or, or partners, um, it's strictly an arm's length transaction. They they don't interfere whatsoever. Now, on the other hand, they're very helpful. You know, uh, in terms of um, you know Ohio, Ohio University, Ohio State, Kent State have a number of partnerships with major corporations. Uh, they have some great professors. They have some great research going on. So it's it's very it's very positive from that perspective. But they are not. They're not in there making, okay, invest in this company and that, not that company and, and the other company. So it's really, and it was, the fund was specifically, that's why we, I started talking with them in 2015 and we launched in 2016. It took about six months to make sure we had the appropriate structure in place to exactly a, a, a address that issue. And so far, I think, you know, uh, Mike Papadakis, the CFO over there, has been very supportive, as has, you know, uh, the President's University, President Nellestein at Ohio University. The trustees have been very supportive. Uh, the President at Kent State, CFO at Kent State, have been very supportive. So, I mean, we've had strong support from the trustees and, and administrations at all universities. And, and basically, they, they, you know, what they want is success. That's what we're trying to deliver for them. So, you know, proving that venture, entrepreneurship, innovation, and venture capital can succeed here in Ohio and, and you know, for the sake of our universities, for the sake of our students, for the sake of our faculty and our alumni. Can you tell us more about the OIF team? So as you scale up, you need more companies. 
Yeah, so we have a finance group, obviously. We have finance and HR taken care of. We have, uh, we have Jill and myself. We have a number of advisors like, like Mike Hughes. Uh, Sarah joined us recently. She's helping us out in the marketing side, formerly at Adobe out in Silicon Valley and just came back here in the last few months. So we're, we're continuing to, to scale up. I mean, we will, as we expand, we will need to add more people like Jill and myself. So probably if you look out three to five years, so maybe four of us. But that's also, I think, you know, a, 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 a miscon there's a misconception in Ohio about how a venture capital firm looks. A lot of venture firms out in Silicon Valley, even though they have hundreds of millions of dollars in capital, they have four, six, eight partners per fund. Typical partner can do up to nine deals. So a venture firm, I mean, you know, at the seed stage, we have all these people working on helping with, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, how it's structured here in Ohio, very large organizations for a very small amount of capital being deployed. Venture is, is very efficient from that, that point of view where you typically, a large venture firm is four to six partners. I mean, a four to six partner firm can, can have a 300 to $500 million fund. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's guest. So shoot us an email at hello at upside.fm or find us on Twitter at Upside FM. We'll be back here next week at the same time talking to another founder in our quest to find Upside outside of Silicon Valley. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high quality guests to the show. Eric and I decided there were a couple things we wanted to share with you at the end of the podcast. And so here we go. Eric Hornung and Jay Klaus are the founding parties of the Upside Podcast. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of Duff & Phelps LLC and its affiliates, Unreal Collective LLC and its affiliates, or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.